Psalm 112 verses 1 through 6 is our theme scripture that we've been reading for our series called Legacy. It says, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. His descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house. Can I get an amen? And his righteousness endures forever. Unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. A good man deals graciously and lends. Can I tell you something? The Bible said we're supposed to lend and not borrow. Praise God. He will guide his affairs. That's very critical. He will guide his affairs or navigate. He will be intentional about his life with discretion Surely, when the world is shaken, think about what's happening in Hawaii right now. Let me tell you something. If you ain't got a relationship with God, there's a bunch of them ain't got a relationship with God. I bet you they forgot one this week. Praise God. When they walked outside that beautiful paradise that they moved to that looks like no place in the whole world, one guy on the news said, all of a sudden I heard something, boom, and I looked outside and the woods were on fire and my front yard opened up and lava's coming up out of my front yard. His house is burned to the ground. I promise you, if you ain't got an unshakable kingdom in your house, you'll be shaken in, in a moment like that. But how many knows, there's, I'm not saying you're not ever going to be scared, but when the world uh, brings this attack against you, if you've got a relationship with God and you're anchored in the name of Jesus Christ, then you'll be able to stand when, not, when all hell's breaking loose around you. Can somebody shout Amen. Surely he'll never be shaken. The righteous will be in everlasting remembrance. Proverbs 13, 22 says this, A good man leaves an inheritance to not just his children, but his children's children, his grandchildren. Amen. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. In other words, the devil that went and took some of my stuff. Amen. How many knows the devil's got some of our stuff? The wealth of the wicked is laid up for the righteous. Praise God. I remember when I was... Uh, old school church, we raised up in church, and young pastor, we used to sing a song like this, let's go down to the enemy's camp, and let's take back what he stole from me, yeah, come on, take back what he stole from me, yeah, take back what he stole from me, let's go down to the enemy's camp, and let's take back what he stole from me, here's a good, he's under my feet, 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 Satan is under my feet, and then of course we'd sing it about a thousand times come on can I get an amen I mean it was a thousand times and then we break out into, into all the other songs that happened to really be the same song we just changed the words watch this let's go down to the enemy's camp watch this God's not dead he's still alive look what the Lord has done it's all the same song but we didn't care did we we shake our hair down, sweat a suit up. Come on, somebody. Get excited about going and taking our stuff back. I tell you right now, I'm tired of the devil having my stuff. I'm tired of the devil having my kids. I'm tired of the devil having the blessings that God wants on my life, in my house. That devil going to get, the Bible said if the thief is found, he's got to not just return it, but he's got to return it seven times. That means for every night I lost sleep, he's got to give me a week of rest. Come on, are y'all hearing me? 
That ain't what I'm preaching, but I just felt like preaching it right now. Today, we are continuing our series. We are in part five of Legacy. Next week, we're going to tentatively end the series. But what I found here lately over the last two years, we don't ever really end any series. They just sort of spill over into the next series because we're building towards something. Come on, somebody. We're building a, a kingdom, an unshakable kingdom in this house, praise God, of believers. We're, we're making disciples in this house. But next week, being Mother's Day, we're going to end it on the legacy of Mama. The legacy of mama, what mama can, can do to leave her legacy. And even though we're in the series and I'll get on a plane and go to Peru when I come back, praise God, then we have Father's Day, I'll probably make an addendum and call it the legacy of daddy. But today I'm going to talk about a subject that y'all don't like preachers to talk about. Money. Money, 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 money. Y'all drive down the road and sing that song, but y'all don't want your preacher to talk about it. Let me tell you something about the first thing in your notes is this. Jesus talked more about finances and possessions than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He talked more about finances and possessions than he talked about heaven and hell combined. How many knows it's important to know about heaven? That's where God is. That's where Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. That's where he's going to prepare a place for us. How many wants to go to heaven? You know the old song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. Because how many knows that's how we get there? But if you ain't got your life right with Jesus, I, I know you don't like to hear this word. If you're living in a life of sin and you never give your life to Jesus, heaven, there's a heaven to gain, the old preacher used to say, and a hell to shun. There is a place called hell. But Jesus said as important as for you to understand about heaven, as important as you for under, understand about hell, those are eternal things that are coming. I need you to understand how to live in the dash in between. I need you to, I need you to understand that, that you can't take anything with you to either one of those places, but you sure can leave a whole lot behind. It's called legacy. So God said, you know, Jesus, Jesus talked a lot about finances. In fact, Jesus said this. He said something that blew their mind. And even to this day, people still can't sort of comprehend why he would say this. But he says, in this life, you will serve one of two masters. There will be two, one of two gods in your life. And we know that there's only two entities that humans can serve. One is God and the other is Satan. So here's the thing. I know you don't like this, but the reality is this. If you're serving any other false idol or false god, you're serving Satan. Because God made it very clear, I have no other gods before me. Made it very clear, you'll make no graven image. Uh, there'll be no worship of graven image. He made it very clear, Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to the Father except through me. Are y'all with me, church? But yet he didn't say that, did he? He said, you're going to have one of two masters that you're going to serve. We understand that if you don't serve God, you're living for the, for the devil. But he said, you're either going to serve God or you're going to serve money. It's, it's so weird to hear him say that. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money. Because most people, if you ask them, are you a devil worshiper, there'll be some people who will say, yeah, I worship Satan. Satan rocks. Look at this pentagram I got on my forehead. He's my friend. We're going to party in hell. No. Most people don't do that, do they? Most people, I don't worship the devil. Well, it's because 
most people have a concept that that's probably not a good thing to do is worship the devil. So God understood that people are not going to openly admit that they worship the devil, and they may not even openly admit that they're worshiping money, but here's the reality. And I don't know how much time I'm going to have to get all this out today, but here's the reality. Anything that you put before God, anything or anyone, how many of you can make a person a God? Anything or anyone you put before God, you have made your God. And you are serving it. Mm -hmm. This ain't in your notes, but you want to write it down, I promise you. Jesus talked about finances because he knew how it would affect our families. He knew that when we put money before God, we would sacrifice many things that God had intended for our homes and for our families. It would affect our purpose. It would affect our destiny. It would affect our vision. We would not be able to see clearly because we're looking through the eyes of the filter of serving a God that we have placed over Jehovah God. Are you hearing me? See, people tried to make money on an off-topic. Because granted, many preachers have abused it. They've turned it into a topic to, to make them make sure they have the finest cars, fly airplanes, and live in mansions and all that. I'm not begrudging anybody. I don't know how anybody got their wealth. That's between them and God. But I'm not preaching a gospel here today to make you do anything. I'm not trying to put pressure on you to give more in the offering so I can get a better truck or a better car. This ain't about me. Are y'all hearing me? I'm trying to be your pastor and your shepherd today. Money, people think, well, money, yeah, when you won't talk about money. shouldn't be talking about money in the church. Money's the root of all evil. Nope. Nope, that's right. But you'd be surprised how many people say money's the root of all evil. But the Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. There's nothing good or evil about money. Money is simply a tool. Money is something that we use for good or bad. Money, the same $100 bill, can help the homeless, and the same $100 bill can buy drugs on the street, can, can buy a prostitute that destroys a marriage. Can I get an amen? Same $100 bill. In fact, when you look at the cash, sometimes it's in your hand. Sometimes I look at it. Number one, it's, they say it's one of the dirtiest things you'll ever touch. But when you look at it, sometimes every once in a while you just need to think about what all has this thing been a part of? Because it has been a part of some good stuff. It's been a part of some bad stuff. Can I get an amen? See, we're talking about legacy. We're talking about Jesus wants us to be blessed in our finances so that we can leave a legacy, not so that we can brag on how much how blessed we are. He told Abraham, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and you shall be a blessing. See, until you understand that the blessings of God come on you so that you can be a blessing to others, you're going to miss the whole point. 
It's not a cliche when we say we want to be the hands and feet of God. Here's the reality. Jesus made it very clear. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was sick, you came to me. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. How, Lord, we don't ever remember you being any of those things. When you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. When you pray prayers, and I'm getting off topic here, but that's never happened to me before. That's amazing. Uh, But when you pray prayers like this, God, I don't want to be rich. I don't want to be. And, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that God wants you all to be rich. That's not what I'm saying. But hear me out and stay with me for a minute. When you pray prayers like this, God, I don't need all that stuff. I don't really need uh, uh, excess. What I really am just asking you, God, is will you just at least bless me to pay my bills? God, will you just give me what I need to take care of the ones that you've given me to take care of? Let me tell you something. I understand your intention. I understand what you're trying to say. I understand your attempted humility. But don't you get offended at me. And hear me out to the very end then you can decide whether you're coming back again I hope you come back but here's the reality here's the reality when you pray a prayer for God to bless you with just enough to take care of you and your family it's one of the most selfish prayers a Christian can ever pray because this is what God hears. I know what your intention is. Lord, Just I'm not asking for all that stuff. I'm not asking for excess. I just need you to take care of me. God hears this. Lord, I don't care about anyone else except me. I don't care about the Great Commission. I just care about me. And that's called the love of money. Can I tell you something? I'm going to say something that's not going to sit well with you, but I'm going to say it and make it clear. People think the love of money means that's the rich people who are in love with having money. Granted, it is. But let me tell you something. There is much more, there's much more people guilty of loving money this way. When you choose to put Alabama power, mm, it's going to get tight. You choose to put GMAC or Ford credit. You choose to put a credit card statement. You choose to put all the bills that you have before God. You have decided to put God in your love category because you're going to put your money where your mouth is, way down the list. And whatever crumbs are maybe possibly left over that week, that two-week period, or that month, you're going to let God get it. But I got news for you. Alabama Power ain't never prayed for your kids, and I ain't got nothing against Alabama Power. Because we got folks in this church that work there. Ford Credit ain't never visited you in the hospital. Dish Network and Direct TV ain't never laid hands on your kids when they were sick. Is this microphone working? Check one. Check two. All right, just making sure because it looked like some of y'all just checked your Facebook or something. But you don't know my situation. Nope. I don't know your situation. But can I tell you something? It's going to sound, it's going to sound mean. I'm not trying to be mean. But here's the reality. God is not moved by your situation. God is moved by your faith. Faith. All right? Faith is big picture. Faith sees more than your situation. 
I mean, me and my wife first got married, we were, we were youth pastors for almost two years. And for the first year of being a youth pastor, we very rarely, if ever, even got to go out to eat with our kids that we were teaching about the principles of God after church on a Wednesday night because we didn't have enough money to go to Taco Bell because we were, we were trying to pay off debt that I brought into the marriage. I mean, my credit was so bad. I mean, it wasn't even on the scale, y'all. I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it wasn't, you know, you got the red, and then you look at the little track, you got the red, you got the yellow. I mean, I, I was like a, a, I don't know what color, I was like a purple or something. I wasn't even in the, on the red. I, try, I tried to get a Chevron card, man, back in those days. All you had to do is walk in the gas station and say, I want one of your cards. They'd fill it out, stamp it, give you a temporary card, you go buy gas outside. They turned me down for a Chevron card. That's how bad I was. I was the most irresponsible person you could ever meet. So we was doing all that, paying that off. And we had, there were times in our young marriage, living in that uh, single-wide mobile home trailer in Warrior, Alabama, serving the Lord, that we didn't even have any food. We, we didn't have nothing to cook. But we didn't tell anybody. We, didn't, we, just, we just trusted God. And there were times that people would come and they'd give us food and, and we'd have food and we'd give God the praise. But here's the reality. Through it all, through it all, since 1989, May of 1989, when I married that smoking hot blonde on the first row right there in the polka dots, every dollar that's ever touched the Raglan home has been tithed on, and every week there has been an offering above that. When we didn't have food, when we thought they were going to turn our power off, we created, and I'm not bragging on ourselves, I'm just giving you a personal experience, that you can't, you can't give according to your situation. You have to give big picture. You have to give according to what God has promised. Come on, somebody, give him praise right now. You might as well. You don't clap, you're going to tell on yourself. Now listen, the next thing on your notes is going to shock you. It's because some of y'all say, well, you don't know what situation is. I don't have enough. You have more than you think you have. You have more than you think you have. Listen, if you're just supposed to count up what you spent on Snickers and Mountain Dews at the gas station. Come on, somebody. If you just, if you just counted up what you spent on Snickers and Mountain Dews at the gas station, Starbucks, come on, somebody. Come on, don't go. Let me go ahead and talk about Starbucks. Let me go ahead. Oh, I just went to Madeline, didn't I, brother? I just went to Madeline when I started talking about coffee. Huh? Pay. How much y'all pay for a cup of coffee? I don't even know. Wait a minute. What? Wait, wait. wait. Did, did I just hear $7? That ain't right. I mean, are you exaggerating? Seriously. You are exaggerating. Don, your wife paying $7 or something for a drink? <laughs> no, no, I, oh, I, I listen. I'm 50 years old. I ain't drank coffee yet. I ain't starting now. I know my pastor. My pastor's gonna be preaching in two weeks. Told me he said, "Son, that's why you'll never be as anointed as me because it's 99 Holy Ghost and one percent coffee." That's what he told me. But can I show you something? 
Now, I don't know how much you make, and I don't want to know how much you make. I don't care how much you make. That's between, that's your private business. But, you know, and some of you are going to be like, I wish I made that much money, and some of you make much more than this. But this is just a statistic that I found. I found this. This was, this was, uh, this is a fact now. This is not just somebody made this up. This is a historical fact that if your combined income on your home, both parties working or one person working, whatever. If your combined income, now listen to what I'm saying very clearly, before taxes are even taken out, is $50,000 a year before taxes, then you are now in the top 15% of the wealthiest people in the world. $50,000 annually before taxes is makes you in the top 15% wealthiest people in the world. Some of you be like, I didn't know I was rich. <laughs> Come on, somebody. In most countries, $50,000, you would have servants, and you would live like a millionaire. Now, I understand that it's different. $50,000 in America is not the same as $50,000 somewhere else. I understand that cost of living is different. But the reality is what I'm trying to tell you is that if you begin to see yourself as blessed in the big picture, if you begin to see that maybe in America that's nowhere near enough to have what I need that I want to do for my family. We understand that in the natural. But if you begin to see yourself in the big picture that God has blessed you to live in the greatest nation in the world and to bless you to be a part of the 15% wealthiest in the world, you begin to see yourself differently. I'm not talking about pride. I'm not talking about bad pride. I'm just I'm start talking about, my God, I really am the head and not the tail. I really am. The world looks at me, and I know it's shocking. The world looks at me and wants to have my life. They want to have my life. Billions of people around the world, I know you can't understand it, in a heartbeat would trade their life for yours today. If nothing changed about you, and the only money that they ever made is what you make now for the rest of their life. They lived in your house, they drove your car, and they wore your clothes. They would think that they had won the lottery. But we're messed up. Because sometimes, and I know this is, this, is, this is not, a, I guess, a scripturally accurate statement. But I'm trying to make an example here. Sometimes we can get too blessed for our own good if we don't have the foundation in place. That's why he said, he didn't say it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. He said it's really, really difficult because the more wealthy you get, the less you depend on God. Let's just be real. We cry out, on, we cry out more to God when we lose everything than when we got everything, right? But can I tell you something that that's, I've been preaching now? I'm 50 years old. I started preaching right after we got married. We got married May of 89, and by August of 89, I started preaching. And I've been preaching by vocational pastor and preacher for many, many years for full-time in the ministry. But, but, but what I'm trying to say is I've been preaching. I don't even know how many sermons I've preached. I've been preaching for that long. And I can tell you, as long as I've been preaching, I've been studying statistics. And as long as I've been preaching, I've never found one list that they redo them about every three to five years about why people end, end in divorce, why marriage end in divorce. I've seen sexual immorality go from two to three. I've seen uh, social media now uh, coming up, getting up there in the top five of things that 
people are found them sneaking on social media. But without a doubt, since 1989 today, nothing has ever taken number one except one thing, money. Money is the number one reason for divorce. And that's the next thing on your notes. Money problems are the number one reason for divorce. Money problems are the number one reason for divorce. Put that on the screen. Now listen. Here's the reality. If that's, not the, if that's the case, if that's the case, then it makes sense for us to know that if we would get our financial house in order to where there's not financial chaos in the house, that we would build a legacy of financial blessing in our lives, then that alone tells me that the majority of divorces would either be eliminated or dramatically reduced. We'll never think about that, do we? But see, I'm not saying that having more money will save a family. I'm not saying you can buy a good marriage. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying, how many knows if you've ever been in a place where you thought you was going to lose everything and you were in financial struggle to the max, and then if you've ever also been at a time where things were pretty good and the bills were caught up and they were paid and you had a little extra money to do a few little things for fun, how many knows it just feels different in the house? It just feels different, don't it? The way you talk to each other changes. Huh? When you're in a little bit better time and your wife comes back from the thrift store with a whole SUV full of stuff. I'm just, I'm, I mean, I've heard about this happening from other people. You can say things like, well, baby, I'm so excited that you hit the thrift store today. So excited for you. I mean, that's just what I heard from other people. But when you're in times where you ain't got no money, how many of those you pull up with that same stuff and you'd be like, uh, what in the world are you thinking? What have you done? Do you not understand? You're about to lose your cell phone. But baby, this used to be $15. I got it for $1.50. And then while I was getting this for $1.50, I found this, this, this living room suit. <laughs> so I, wouldn't even, I didn't even think we needed a couch, but we do. How many knows things change when the financial house is in order? It don't make it perfect. It don't fix things, all kinds of things, but it creates a lower stress environment. People are driven to alcoholism because of money problems. If they're going to lose everything, people take their life because of money problems. See, we need a kingdom view. I said we need a kingdom view. Another thing you might want to write down, it's not in your notes, is Jesus talked about finances because he knew that finances would be needed to advance the kingdom. The Great Commission, you ever heard that term? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Come on. It says, for chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, verse 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached unto all the world as a witness to all nations, and then the end will come. 
Listen, we, people care more about earthquakes in divers places, pestilence, than they do about this. Here's the reality. People will freak out when earthquakes happen. They'll freak out when hurricanes happen. But they'll forget all about the fact that he said these are signs. These are only signs that the earth is getting ready. It's birth pains. But that's not the evidence that the Lord is returning. These are all just for you to point to one thing and to push you for this reason. There's only one thing that he says is holding him back. Is that the gospel be preached to all nations and to all people. That's it. That's it. You, if you're worried about anything else, if you're worried about protecting your house from an earthquake, but you ain't worried about financing the kingdom, your priorities are in a mess. This word nations is the word ethnos, which means ethnic people group. It doesn't just mean nation. Some people say, well, there's nothing left to be done because every, God, every nation has had the gospel preached to them. It doesn't mean nation. It said and nations and people. It is the people group. Wow. Listen to these statistics. I'm going to go fast. We ignore our responsibility to the advancement of the kingdom. Here are a few numbers to think about. Christians make up 33% of the world's population. It's amazing. We're a third of the world's population. But we have 53% of the world's money. So the 33% of world's population receives 53% of the world's annual income. But watch this. So we have, we have the majority of the money. We're a third of the world, but we have the majority of the money. And of our money, Barrett and Johnson, which is a statistic uh, uh, analyzer for the body of Christ, says that we spend 98% of every dollar on ourselves. 98% of everything we have, we spend on us. North American and European Christians spend $12.5 trillion on themselves every year. Only zero, get this, 0.1% of all Christian giving is directed towards mission efforts in the 38 most unevangelized countries in the world. American Christians spend 95% of their tithes and offerings on home-based ministry, 4.5% on cross-cultural efforts in already-reached people groups, and 0.5, a half of 1% of their tithe and offering goes to the unreached people of the world. Christians' annual income is $12.3 trillion. $213 billion is given to Christian causes. $11.4 billion is given to foreign missions. 87% of which goes to work being done among the already Christian. 12% goes to work among the evangelized non-Christian. And only 1% of mission money goes to the unevangelized in the world. Is it any wonder that Jesus said the gospel has to be preached to every ethnic group? In 2013, the latest stats that we could get, 43% of Americans attended church weekly. Not even half of Americans even go to church weekly now. 43%, four out of 10 people go to church now. Out of a population of a current 326 million, that's roughly 141 million people go to church on Sundays. Out of 141 million people who are in church today, only 7.4% of churchgoers are tithing 10% or more. 
7.4. Now all that money, the trillions and the billions that I said are being sent to missions, is being sent by 7.4% of Christians. Do you understand that if we were just to become a giving mindset, 98% of everything we have we spend on ourselves. What if we just backed that to 95% and every year we took 3%, an extra 3% and gave it to missions? If every believer took 3 to 5% that they spent on themselves, don't know, skipped a couple of Big Macs, come on somebody, skipped a couple of Snickers bars and Mountain Dews and taught their family a legacy of giving and set it aside. Do you understand if we only did that, we could wipe out hunger? We're making an amazing effort now and only 7.5% is doing anything. Not in this church, right? We all are givers, right? 100% are tithers in here. Can I get an amen? Come on. Next thing you notes is this, the Great Commission is expensive. The Great Commission is expensive. I'm going to tell you something. It takes a lot of money to go to another country. But don't give me this mess, and I call it mess. And that's, a, that's, a, that's a nice way of saying it. These preachers getting up the pulpit and preaching things like, bless God, these churches getting on planes and spending thousands of dollars going to another country for one week to spend money on people they ain't never going to see again when they could take that money and spend it right here in their own city. <laughs> That preacher needs to finally read the Bible. It's ridiculous. I'm telling you right now, the overwhelming majority, if not the super majority, of every one of them that says things like that ain't doing nothing in the community. Ain't doing nothing in the community. People rising up and complaining for the church of the highlands planting a church in a difficult part of the city of Birmingham to try to be a blessing to the city of Birmingham. And you know who rose up against them? Pastors. Churches rose up against him. What are you doing coming in my community? Here's, here's, here's the reality. All they, all they want to do is come in and work with you. And we, we try to take over. Now ain't nobody no kind of competition. Who, who could be the first one? Listen, bottom line is, there's enough ministry to go around on Birmingham for every single church from now to eternity. Quit griping and complaining when somebody wants to try to do the Great Commission. Gripe and complain because the Church of the Highlands sends people to another country. Then gripe and complain when they try to reach Birmingham. Religious spirit. It's expensive. It's expensive. In A.D. 100, 100 years after the birth of Christ, there was only 12 known unreachable people groups for every congregation of believers. 12 for every congregation of believers. Now there is one unreached people group for every 1,000 Christians. That's how many people groups. People say, well, the gospel's being preached all over India, so we're done with India. No, listen, in India, there are over, I don't remember how many thousands of unreached ethnic people groups who speak an entire different language, have an entirely different culture, who have never heard the gospel within India. That's why I love John Smithwick. 
Global Ventures, many of you have gone on trips with him. I've gone on several trips with him, and I'll always go on trips with him because I love this about him. Is the he'll he'll go into evangelized places. You know, he'll take family trips to to to, to places that are like first world countries like Quebec and and uh, in uh, Ireland and some other places. But his main focus, eighty percent to ninety percent of everything they do, is they go into the ten forty window. They go into the most unevangelized, unevangelized place in the entire world. People who have never heard the gospel. They just got back from Thailand. They're they're getting ready to go to Hong Kong and China right now but when they were in thailand they were preaching to thousands and thousands every night some of them sometimes 10 to fifteen thousand in the crusade and i watched the videos and through the interpreter they would share the gospel and they would shoot the hands up and they'd pray out loud in their dialect a sinner's prayer and, the, and and i heard him say these words and it happens time and time again every year every year if he did it for the rest of his life he wouldn't be able on his own to reach every one of them this is what he says how many of you that just raised your hand how many of you right now in this place tonight is tonight the first time you have ever heard the name Jesus in your life raise your hand and every single hand 95 to 98 percent of the hands would go up the first time they'd ever heard the name Jesus and he said how many of you have ever heard the gospel that this man Jesus died on the cross for our sins for the first time in your existence raise your hand and almost a hundred percent of tens of thousands of people would raise their hand I've never heard of this man yet there are people that gripe and complain and John told me he gets letters of complaint all the time of how much money it took them to go to that country we're messed up when it comes to money we've got a messed up view when it comes to money there's nothing wrong with you having money but there's something seriously wrong when money has you Mm. Can I tell you something that two out of every five people on earth today, listen to this, two out of every five people alive on earth today have never heard the name Jesus or the gospel ever in their life. It almost seems impossible to believe because we're so spoiled here. 1 John 3.17 says this, For whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and shuts up his heart from him. How does the love of God abide in him? Wow. How does the love of God abide in him? See, we're supposed to be teaching a legacy to our children and our children's children. The next thing on your notes, and I'm going quickly. One of the greatest legacies that you can leave your children is for them to know that you were a faithful giver. What are they hearing from you when times get tough in your house? What are they seeing? Do they end up seeing fights over money? Who, who, gets, who gets moved to the bottom of the list of the budget when somebody misses work, when somebody loses their job, or the plant closes down? Who do your kids hear is the number one priority for your finances? Do they hear things like, well, I tell you what, we're just, God's just going to have to understand until we come out of this mess because he's a loving God so I know he understands. Or do they hear things like this? Well, I can tell you one thing right now. I know God's not going to forget us. He's got something better for us. We're not gonna, we've made a commitment to God, and we're going to keep that commitment to God no matter what. Because I'm going to tell you, when they hear, those are the times that they will replicate when they get older. 
not the times when everything was great and perfect and wonderful. They will replicate you and how you responded in times of crisis. Am I preaching right? I'm getting a call right now for somebody that knows I should be in church. Should I answer it? Hello? Oh, they got the point right at the very end. I'm not going to tell you who it was. I wish, I wish so bad I could have got that call in time. Do you believe? I hope they call back. You mean calling back? Hang on, hang on, Still ringing. I think they realize what happened and they're not answering. (laughs) Hey, hey, did you call me? Yeah, yeah, I'm preaching right now. Okay, Uh, I was just making sure you're okay. All right, I'm good. I'm going to get back to preaching. All right, love you. Bye. <laughs> oh, my Lord. This person's going to kill me because that really, I wasn't faking. That really did just happen. Okay. Do you, <laughs> do you believe in the Great Commission? Is my face as red as it feels right now? The Great Commission is not a suggestion. Amen? I've completely lost this message at this point right now. It's over. I completely lost this message. (laughs) Oh, glory to God. So, yeah, thank you. Everybody's like, thank you, whoever it was. And somebody is literally calling me again. Okay, I got to take this one. Hello? Are you sitting on the front row watching me preach right now? Don't ever call me while I'm preaching again. I will excommunicate you from the church. True, I need a drummer. Bye. All right. So let's do not let that be a pattern now when I'm going over time that somebody calls me and says, have you seen the clock? Don't do it, okay? Don't do it. Next two quick things on your notes is simply this. Legacies are not accidental. They are made. They are intentional. You don't slip up one day and leave a legacy. You get up every day deciding, I'm not going to be moved by what I see, by what I hear, by what is happening to me around my environment. I am big picture. I am legacy-minded, and I am thinking of my children and my children's children. I am thinking of my impact on the kingdom. So, therefore, I will not make my decisions based on what I feel. Very quickly, very quickly, and I'll hit them just like this. These are five things that you need to do. I know y'all are scared when I said five things, but I'm going to write them very quickly. Number one, when you're leaving a legacy of financial blessing, number one, make it your goal to leave as little or no debt as possible. I've seen so many families, unexpectedly somebody just thinks they got all kinds of time left. They went out and bought everything in the world on credit they possibly could, living the life, and they left all that mess to their family. 
try to avoid that doing that. Number two, model better financial behaviors in the eyes of your kids and your spouse. Make good decisions. If you've made bad decisions before, remember, you don't, you don't have to have what you think you have to have all the time. Make better decisions. Number three, and this is an important one, teach your kids and your grandkids about money. Teach them about the power of the gift that God gives us when he puts it in their hand, what he expects from it. Teach them about how it can be a blessing and teach them about how it can be used wrongfully as well. Number four, get some kind of life insurance. You say, well, I can't afford that. Well, look, try to be big picture. Try to think, you know, there's some kind of life insurances that you can get that's $15 a month, $10 a month. It, and it may not leave a whole lot if something was to happen right now, but it could be the first step to doing more later. But the reality is this. You spend that much literally at the gas station, as I said earlier, sometimes when you pull in there and get you a couple of hot dogs and a bag of Doritos and, and whatever. You certainly do through the drive-thru. Get some kind of life insurance. And the last thing is so important, number five, is teach your family how to live in a spirit of giving. Teach your kids how to live in the spirit of giving. Do you, you know, how many knows when kids come into this world, they come in with a selfish spirit? They're precious and they're loving. They still look, go over and love and kiss and hug and all this. I understand that. But how many knows there comes a point that that selfish spirit manifests in most every kid? And you have to teach them to share. One of their first words they love is what? Mine. 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 You have to, you have to teach them, right? Wouldn't it be a blessing to be able to teach your kids and to walk upon your kids one day and you say, son, what happened to your shoes? Because in your mind you're thinking, okay, he ran through a mud hole. He's lost his shoes. You've got to go find your shoes. And for your son and your daughter to look back at you and say, I saw a kid on the playground, dad, mom, and their kids, their, their shoes looked like they were falling apart. And listen, catch this. What if you heard this? And I remembered what you said, dad. And what you taught me, Mom, that if I see a need and I can meet it. So I hope you're not mad, but I took my shoes off and I gave them to them. That's one thing to stick your chest out when your boy hits a Grand Slam home run or your girl has an amazing soccer game or whatever. That's my boy. That's my girl. But do you not know as a child of God that will be an amazing moment? Mom and dad moment, grandma, grandpa moment too. Oh, son, I'll get you some more shoes. I'm proud of you. Why would a kid do that? Because he's been taught to be a giver. The last thing in your notes is simply this. It's not too late to start building a legacy. It's not too late. It's not too late to teach your kids that you're not moved by what you see. That you're not moved by what you feel. I love what Joshua said. You, you, can choose your day, your, you can choose this day which route you're going. But I can tell you one thing. I can't speak for you, but it's for me and my house. For it's me and my house. We're going to serve and trust the Lord. So there's all kinds of ways that church has changed over the years. And, and, I'm, and I'm thankful that we adjust and change to try to reach people because we need to do that. But there are some bedrock faiths that we don't need to let go. 
They're, they're called the essentials. We need to major on the majors and minor on the minors. A lot of these things that we bicker and talk about is we just need to let it go. But, but when Jesus talked more about a subject than he did heaven or hell, we need to understand what he wanted us to know about it. That's pretty important. And just because some preachers have abused it and misused it for their own gain doesn't mean that it don't need to be talked about. I'm your shepherd. You understand me? If you've been wondering when a confidence vote is going to come up to whether Solid Rock's going to keep me as their pastor or not, you'll be waiting till the rapture. Here's the reality. I ain't no hireling. John 10 said, there's two different kinds of people that'll be with the sheep. There's the, there's the shepherds, and then there's the hirelings. The one you hire to come in and watch, they ain't his sheep. But you hire him to come in and just watch him till, it's, till he finds a better pasture to move on. The first sign of a wolf, he runs. But a shepherd hunkers down and says, y'all get behind me. Come on, somebody. And that's what I'm going to be to you. That's what I'm going to be to you.